to the Cubs Weekly Podcast on Marquee Sports Network, presented by Wintrust, proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs and exclusive home of Cubs checking. Open online today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs Weekly. As a reminder, we're available on all podcast platforms, so be sure to rate and subscribe. I'm Chris Emma, Marquee Sports contributor, alongside my colleagues Tim Stebbins with MLB.com, as well as with Marquee Sports Network, and Andy Martinez with Marquee Sports Network. Guys, Cubs have been playing some good baseball so far. They're 11-7 and seven as we record this ahead of the series finale against the A's, and they're looking for the sweep, ready for a big series against the Los Angeles Dodgers, who they just, by the way, took two out of three from last weekend at Dodgers Stadium. Tim, I'm going to start with you. What were your impressions so far of that series in L.A. and obviously what we've seen in Oakland so far? Um, I mean, Cody Bellinger and Patrick Wisdom, right? I mean, Cody Bellinger and Patrick Wisdom, Cody Bellinger's first five-hit game in his career. Patrick Wisdom, man, it just feels like every time he's getting a hit lately, it's leaving the ballpark. And obviously he entered that uh, Oakland you know, series after that finale tied for MLB leading home runs. I mean, that that's pretty remarkable uh, this early in the season, obviously. But that guy's always been someone to me who, when he gets on runs, he gets on these heaters, yep. you know, it's this is what you see. Uh, and the fact that it's coming out of the gate this this red hot for him, I think has been really impressive. You know what I keep thinking about, too, with Patrick Wisdom is that with Theo Epstein, what he used to say about development is not linear, about the, right. the progress that a young prospect has to make. And this is a guy who was a first-round pick in 2012, didn't break into the big leagues until years later, got cast off by the, the, the Rangers, by the Cardinals, didn't get an opportunity until after the Cubs got rid of some of their core players in 21, and he's made the most of it. But beyond that, here he is again, another step forward in his development. It's a guy on the other side of 30 now, but he's really made the kind of strides that you want to see. Andy, kind of what are your impressions of what's allowed him to have this kind of success? I think the biggest thing for me is the way the Cubs are using him, right? The, you mentioned in 2021 when he was – when he was getting more playing time, just out of necessity with all the moves that the Cubs made, like he had to play every day. Last year, he had to play almost uh, every day. But he had to be used and exposed against matchups that, frankly, weren't to his benefit, right? Like tough righties, like he was having to, to, to face those guys and wasn't having a ton of success. Now the Cubs, just given their roster construction, the amount of players that they have, and, and the different kind of skill set and tools that these guys have, they're able to mix and match Patrick Wisdom to matchups that benefit him, right? And we're seeing the success. If it's a tough righty, he's probably going to sit and and not be exposed in that situation. But if it's a favorable lefty matchup, if it's a, if it's a if it's a soft tossing righty or or, or or different situations where the, it plays to his strengths, so the Cubs are going to play him, and he's going to have success. Julio Rios is, is a, one of the best starters in the National League, but he hits lefties well, so that matchup made sense. He hits a, he hits a home run in that game. It's it, it's really just you picking the moments, and I think that's what's making him more valuable. He struck out a ton last year. But being able to cut down that strikeout rate by not exposing him as much, I think is giving him a benefit, and it's making him a stronger player and making the Cubs lineup stronger overall, really. You've kind of seen the faith, too, from David Ross. I think the yep. opening day he hit Wisdom 8th, I believe it was, and he's now up to 5th. He's kind of sliding up because, like you said, the strikeout rate's down, the walk rate's staying the same, uh, and he's really doing damage when he's got his pitch inside the zone or even toward the edge of the zone. He used to be yep. more of a pull hitter profile uh, the two-homer game a couple nights ago in Oakland, those are pitches on the outside edge yeah. that he just walloped. I mean, that's a guy who's really locked in, really comfortable, and obviously earning a lot of the faith of the manager in, in this organization. Um, one guy who certainly had the faith of this team is Marcus Stroman. And there's six innings in each of his four performances now, 
Two runs allowed so far this season, both in the same inning. He's gone 23 of 24 innings without surrendering a run. Uh, 0.75 ERA. I love to see a good whip rate. 0.92. <laughs> he's under that one, which you love to see. He's not getting into trouble often when he does it because that start in Oakland got out of it. He's got the pitch selection working, and I thought the broadcast, uh, the marquee broadcast, did a great job of presenting how Tommy Hanavy's really locked yeah. in with this guy. What are your impressions so far, Marcus Stroman? Is he kind of taking that next evolution you want to see? Yeah, I mean, it's eight straight quality starts after that that quality start in Oakland dating back to last season. We saw glimpses of what of who Marcus Stroman is in the second half of 2022. He had a really rough start to his 2022 season where he had COVID, he had some injuries, didn't get off to the best start. And then that second half, it's like, okay, this is the guy that the Cubs signed. This is the guy that they uh, wanted him to be, and that's who he has been. And this season, he's taken that to a whole new level, which I personally didn't think was possible. I thought if they got what he got in the second half, that was really good. And it seems like he's even better in the second half or in the the first three starts of, of 2023, which is really really good for the Cubs. But what's what's been impressive is just the the fine tuning of the mechanics and just how confident he is. And like you mentioned, the Tommy Hadovy thing is is real, right? Like Tommy Hadovy and Marcus Stroman's relationships is, is strong in the sense that. Marcus Stroman knows what he has to do to get his body in sync, to, to be mechanically right. But every once in a while, Tommy Hadovy will, will chime in or will, will bump in and say, hey, like, we're noticing this. And Marcus Stroman listens to that. And that's something we saw in the Oakland start where it was something a little off. He came up, got him to calm down, and kind of locked it in after that and goes six innings of, of shutout ball and, and keeps the Cubs in the game. I mean, that, that's, that's what you want, and that's what Marcus Stroman's doing this season so far. Tim, what do you think so far of the Stro show? I mean, it's definitely a continuation of last year, right? Like, the, to the second half, he had a sub-3 ERA and 14 starts. So it's it's really been since then for me. But I think the if you want to look at just this year, the fact that he's gotten off to this great start is is huge because I'll go back to last year again. It's, you know, we know the start he got off to here. He had the shoulder issue. Uh, before that, he was on the injured list with COVID. And, I, you know, that, that was a, obviously a bit big disruptor his first season here. Um, I think after he was healthy, though, he, he got into a groove and it just carried over. And, you know, like having a guy like this up the top of the rotation, like I know, I know, you know, you think of sometimes people think of aces as the guys who throw like what, like 99, 100, right? And have like 10 strikeout games. Yes. But Marcus Stroman having a, a sub one ERA and, you know, ranking just behind Luis Castillo for the MLB lead. Like, I think that's as much of an ace as you're going to get. And I know it's four starts and it's April, but considering what he did to end last year and kind of carrying it over, like, I don't care if he doesn't throw 99. Like, he's, this yeah. guy gets out. This guy comes up big and gives you what we've seen this year and dating back to last year is when he takes the mound, he's going to give you six quality innings at least. Uh, and I think you kind of asked for a better start from him. And and I was, just to chime in really quickly, too, one thing that David Ross mentioned was ahead of the season, Marcus Stroman told him, I want to be that guy that you turn to and you know, like, this is going to be a win. And he's proof, he's delivered on that end, right? Like, every time Marcus Stroman goes out to start for the Cubs, you kind of feel like they're going to win or at least have a chance to win the game, which is all you can ask for from, like you mentioned, the ace. But really, it's been the whole rotation as a whole. The Cubs rank in starting pitching ERA. They rank first in the NL, and they're third in Major League Baseball in, in starter, starting pitching ERA. It's really impressive just given what the, the one through five have gone. And if you think about it, like in a lot of it, it, yes, a lot of it is Marcus Stroman and Justin Steele. But Tyone's starting to find his groove. Wasneski looked good against the the Oakland A's, and Smiley looked really good against the Dodgers. You're starting to see kind of what the the Cubs envisioned with their starting rotation uh, when they broke camp in 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 March. 
You know, I love a Stroman too. Is this is such a clubhouse filled with lead by example guys, yeah. and great resumes, World Series champions, All Stars, Gold Gloves. There's so many accolades and so many guys you want to follow because of what they've done before. Stroman's an emotional leader. Like every yeah. fifth day, you know what you're getting in him, not only on the mound but emotionally. And the, the Tony sets for that team. Uh, Tim, you're right. When you think about aces, you think about you know the the Verlanders of the world and the Cy Youngs and the flame throwing, but. In my mind, an ace is that guy who every fifth day you know you got a chance to win because he's on the mound. And it's not just the arsenal and what he's done that's continued to improve as he's been in that Cubs uniform. It's the fact that you know he goes out there before a game and he's pumping up the crowd at Wrigley yeah. Field. And he's getting everybody in that right state of mind of, we're going to win this game. You go out there on opening day, you're facing Corbin Burns as one of the best pitchers in baseball. That's the guy. Talk about the flamethrowing. That's the ace in terms of... That what that you usually think about, and Stroman goes out there and he pitches a great game. He sets the tone with six shutout innings. He wins four nothing ball game, and you win that first game of the season. And that's an ace to me. That that's what I really think Stroman brings. That you can't get in a lot of other aces out there. That's what really stands out with him. Um, transitioning to another guy who's been really strong so far to start this season, Cody Bellinger. You, you yeah. knew we talked about the the back of the baseball card. That's a really impressive. Back of the baseball card for yep. Cody Bellinger. You wanted to see him, not if not MVP, like it'd be nice if he got a 2019 MVP Bellinger. You just kind of want to like all-star level, if, if anything. Like, you know how good yeah. he can be. He's been on a tear. He's uh, 14 for his last 32 entering the season, or 33 entering the season finale. Uh, Eight-game hitting streak. He's been playing, let's say, I'm sorry, series finale. He's been locked in. He looks like a guy who's a lot more comfortable uh, from your perspective, Andy, what's allowed him to have this kind of success? I think David Ross said it best. He was talking with Taylor McGregor before the second game in Oakland, and he said he's just got that swag about him. Like he's <laughs> just got that charisma. And, like you can talk mechanics, you can talk about pitch selection, you can talk all about all these things at nauseum. Like you can just go into it. But there's something about just like feeling comfortable at the plate and feeling like yourself. And for Cody Bellinger, that's something that's that's like clear, clearly real. Like he feels comfortable. He didn't get off to the best starts, right? I think he was like 0 for 11 or 0 for 10 to start his... his Against tough his, pitchers, right? Uh, yeah, and that's what I was going to say. Like, yeah. you mentioned Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff. Those are those are not easy guys to, to get start a season with. He kind of found his groove, and, and what's, to me, what's been most impressive, yes, he's hit a couple home runs. Yes, he's hit a couple extra base hits. But the, the at-bats against the lefties, to me, has been super impressive where he's, he's not doing too much. He's not striking out a lot. He's drawing walks. He's hitting the ball the opposite way. He's getting singles. Like, he's just doing enough to to produce against left-handed hitters, which was frankly like my concern. Like when Cody Bellinger started the season and there was no natural backup center fielder, clearly you knew he was going to be playing every single day, <laughs> even against righties and lefties. And my concern was, how is he going to fare against left-handed pitching? And the answer so far has been pretty, he's, he's doing pretty well uh, against lefties. You want, you want to... Not, I don't know if this counts as a bold prediction because we're, you know, it's April nineteenth, but you know, <laughs> a, a bold take. Yeah. I don't think we've seen the best of him yet. No. And obviously, you could you hear that and you say, well, no duh, Tim, he won an MVP. Right. That's not what I mean. I mean, like in this version of Cody Bellinger this season, I think we're gonna see more from him. And I'll, I'll give you some numbers just to just talk about this. His average ex exit velocity is eighty-seven point two right now. That would be a career low. He's still right. getting hits, and you know, we talked before the season a lot of people about. He could be a guy who would benefit from these shift changes, the rules. I think you're kind of seeing that. Uh, his strikeout rate down right now, it's 14.3%. That would be a career low. That'd be a career high, a career best. And his walk rate is up to 8.6%. You know, when he was the MVP in 2019, it was 14.5%. But last year, it was around 7 So he's gone up. Um, 
And also his hard hit rate, this would be a career low. So he's putting up numbers right now, and he's not necessarily, he's getting on, he's getting the walks, the walks are up, he's striking out less. Uh, and he's not, I think, hitting the ball like just quite yet. Uh, I don't know where I'm going with this, but I guess what I'm saying is there's more of him than we've seen so far, yeah. as good as he's been. We've seen a couple home runs. I think you're going to see more of those because these numbers are going to keep going up when he gets more comfortable. Yeah, and that's the thing to me is like, there's like the hit he had in Oakland the other night where it's like a pop-up that just drops in, in no man's land. Like that's a hit, right? And yeah. that's going to boost the average. It's going to make him look better. But that's not who he is or who he can yeah. be. And to your point, yeah, like he's had a couple of pitches where he's fouled it straight back. And I'm like, oh, that was that was a really good pitch to hit. And he was like just off. Yeah. If he connects on that one, that's a barrel. That's a that's a nice double to the gap. Those are the moments that are, are coming together. I am excited to see what Cody Bellinger can do, especially when the it gets a little warmer at Wrigley Field. The wind's blowing out a little bit more, and, and it's just off. It's just days ripe for for strong offense. So yeah, and what we heard with Dustin Kelly on the broadcast with Bochambi talking about Cody Bellinger in particular, and it reminded me a lot of Javier Baez when he came up about slowing down that swing, like yeah. that violent swing that Bellinger has. We've seen for years, and he had so much success with in LA and. The idea of just resetting this, like you don't need to go swinging out of your shoes for this. And it, it makes sense. He's got that yep. really, I mean, it's such a smooth swing. It doesn't have to be that crazy uppercut. It doesn't have to be violence every time he goes for it. So I want to ask both of you guys, has he, it was, I think we all see kind of positive things on the horizon for him. Has it been, have you changed your expectations of what he can be based on the first three weeks of this season? Or is this kind of what you thought could come of it? I'll let you go first, Tim. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Have I changed my expectations? I don't know what my expectations were. I don't think they were, like we saw the struggles last year. I don't think I expected that to replicate. I also don't know if I'm ready yet to say he's 2019 Cody Bellinger yet. But I think there was always a thought in my mind all along that like if he could be, you know, like you talk about like WRC plus OPS plus like in the 120-ish range like that's great for for not only this team because of like the, how it raises the floor but kind of the way he's been the last few years and the way he's gone if he can get up to that like that's solid I think so far he's he's kind of after that 0 for 11 stretch to start the season he's shown you that, that he definitely has that in his bag that's definitely in the tank so uh, if he keeps this up for another three weeks then you might start getting mean convinced like <laughs> hey man what what, what's what's better than 2019 Bellinger? <laughs> uh, but so far, so good, right? Yeah, uh, for me, yes, the expectations have changed. Like when, when he came in, my expectations were, along with the WRC, weighted runs created plus, OPS plus, I thought like 110 would be solid, especially just given the production they got out of center field. To me, I thought with the value they were getting in Cody Bellinger was really defense. And, and yeah. on that end, he's delivered. No questions. Like regardless of what he's done at the plate, his defense has been strong in center field. And it's 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 – we talk about the up-the-middle defense all the time with the catcher, shortstop, second base, and center field, and he's been great at, at center field defensively. But, yeah, to your point about way to runs created plus, OPS plus, if he's in that 120 range, that really lengthens up the lineup. If you think about Nico Horner, Dansby Swanson, Ian Happ, and Seiya Suzuki, one through four, if Patrick Wisdom continues to have the matchups like he has, that's that's a good five. Cody Bellinger is six or, or, or five or six intertwined, or, or interchange the two, that's a really, really good one through six. And some of these guys towards the, like, the quote-unquote bottom of the order have been doing all right. And I think there's still more levels, or a, a, a higher level to reach from certain guys like Trey Mancini. I don't think we've seen the, the best yeah. of Trey Mancini yet. I think the, the catching position offensively has been a little bit better than I even I thought. Like I knew they were going for defense and game calling. The, the offense has been pretty solid at that position. So it, it, it's just interesting to see what a, a 
a strong Cody Bellinger. Is he going to be 2019? I, I don't think so. I, I highly doubt he will be 2019 Cody Bellinger. But if he is, like we mentioned, 120, 125, WRC plus OPS plus that's that's really really good for the Chicago Cubs offense yeah you said what I was thinking you took my point there Andy and I completely agree it's this lineup going into the season right I mean you knew Nico was going to be the leadoff guy you knew Dansby was going to be you know the best hitter in the the two spot you felt really good about that Ian Happ after coming off an all-star season felt really good about the developments of his game and see ya you hope there be that kind of evolution coming off the oblique injury and you know, he, he kind of was up and down in his rookie season. You thought maybe he could find the next form, and it's early on. It's been impressive so far, but you're kind of wondering after that, how's this lineup going to look, and how are these going to play? How are these guys going to feed off each other? And uh, I've been really impressed. Obviously, wisdom. You know, it'd be nice if you could hit the 80 home runs or whatever he's on pace for now. <laughs> I might Shout out Tony and Dragon. That Tony. Yeah, Tony's our counter for that. So yeah, Tony's always got us for that. Uh, I'd love to see him hit 35 if he can or 40. That'd be wonderful, but. Uh, obviously, Wisdom, we talked about it. He's been excellent. But Bellinger is such a key catalyst to this lineup where, you know, you don't have to hit him in the heart of the order and count on that kind of production like you saw with him in the Dodgers. But you're starting to see what you're getting with this guy. And you're yeah. starting to look at this lineup. It's not just the one through three anymore. It's, say, uh, okay, he's back in the cleanup spot. All right, Wisdom's been raking. Okay, look at what you're getting out of Bellinger. You can look down the bottom of the order, too. You've got a lot of production one through nine. Uh, Hosmer's been a little up and down, but you know what kind of player he is in the back of the baseball card. He's a good contact guy. Uh, you know what you're getting. He's going to hit, hopefully, you know, 260, 270 range at the minimum. You feel good about that. I'll see the defense there as well. Mancini, like you said, you like to get him toward the kind of form you've seen in the past. But you look at this lineup now as a more complete product because of what a guy like Bellinger can do when you hit him fifth or sixth. And same with Wisdom. And it, you look at this lineup now as one of the better lineups going. Statistically speaking, it's been one of the best lineups in baseball so far. And I think that's kind of what stood out to me over these first three weeks is you feel really good about it. if you can get these guys early on. You kind of expect some struggles offensively in April. It's cold at Wrigley, except for, I guess, last weekend. It was beautiful, <laughs> but it's cold in Oakland. You're kind of dealing with the weather. You're dealing with some good pitchers early on. I've been really impressed with what I've seen so far. And it's really interesting, too, because you think about what was the calling card going into the season for the Cubs. It was pitching and defense. Mm-hmm. Pitching's been pretty solid. The defense, if you look at the numbers, it's been good. But I don't think it's at the level that the Cubs hoped that it had it would be. So I think that's another level that it can reach. The fact that the offense is outperforming, I mean, I think if you would have told any of us that this is what the Cubs' offense would be on April 19th as we record this podcast before the finale in Oakland, we would have said, yeah, like that's you pipe dream. Like, yeah, right. And no, sure enough, that that's what the Cubs' offense is. And if I don't know if that's sustainable throughout the, the course of 162, but if you're a li- maybe a little bit below that, that's still pretty good given that you expect the, the defense to improve and you expect the pitching to, to kind of be at the, the level that it – that it is right now. Well, yeah, now let's shift gears now because I think a lot of the thoughts, a lot of things we said about this lineup, you could say about the bullpen where you got a lot of guys developing, a lot of guys who are kind of putting into key roles, seeing what you can get out of them. Uh, I want to talk about Mark Leiter Jr., guys. I mean, a year ago when he <laughs> broke into the major, broke in with the Cubs, and you didn't really know exactly what you were getting. And he was kind of a guy who was a little bit of a reclamation project. You were hoping to see something, the kind of developments you would in this pitching infrastructure. And he wrote a great piece on MarqueeSportsNetwork.com about Mark Leiter Jr. And one pitch in particular that's really been that out pitch. You kind of got a glimpse of it, too, in that key spot in Oakland where they needed to get through a seventh inning of a scoreless ball game. And there's Leiter. He comes yeah. through for the Cubs. and. What have you seen from him, and kind of give us some background on what you learned about him. Yeah, so the Oakland series, but also the Dodgers series, right, where he goes up against Max Muncy, Freddie Freeman, two tough lefties. 
the Dodgers are probably you know excited, right? They're they're they got a righty, their two best lefty hitters, and Mark Leiter Jr. strikes them both out on back to back days. The the splitter is real, and I wrote about this again at MarqueeSportsNetwork.com. The splitter was within uh, plate appearances that ended on a pitch with a minimum 100 times. Mark Leiter Jr. splitter was the best pitch in baseball. Like hitters hit. Oh, 92, I believe, off that pitch. Like, it was just a really tough pitch to pick up. I asked Eric Hosmer about it. He's a lefty. He faced him and struck out against the splitter, and he's like, it it, it it breaks the other way, and it just, like, you don't see that out of the right-handed side, that it's really, really tough to pick up. And mentioned Boxberger as another guy that kind of has similar profile with his with his changeup, but that splitter is real where it, it gets guys out from both sides, and we saw it on the Mariners series where the Mariners, David Ross turned to Mark Leiter Jr. for, for a pocket of right-handed hitters, and the Mariners brought in three, pinch it, I believe it was three straight lefties, and Mark Leiter Jr. got them all out. It's like, that's, that's a real weapon where if you bring in a lefty, most guys are, most teams are going to pinch it, unless it's like Rafael Devers or Shohei Otani. They're not going to pinch hit those guys, but they'll bring in a ready for that matchup. With Mark Leiter Jr., you can't necessarily do that because he has reverse splits where he's getting those lefties out at a better clip than he is those righties, but he can still get the righties out at a really good clip. So that was what was impressive about me. And in and, and the story, too, I... I Talk to him about the origins of the splitter because, like I mentioned, it's one of the better performing pitches on Twitter. A lot of people have been catching on, like the splitter, the splitter, the, the whole thing. So I asked him, I was like, you know, how did this pitch come about? And he mentioned in high school he started playing around in bullpens with a pitch, and he never found a really good time to, to break it out. And then in his sophomore year in college, um, he's in a tight ball game, and he's like, you know what, it's time. We're like, we need to stay in the game. In the last four innings, he struck out 10 batters with the pitch. And he's like, oh, man, people just swing and miss at this. It was a game-changer pitch, and, and we're seeing the, the results of, of that pitch now for, for the Chicago Cubs in the bullpen, and it's creating a real weapon for David Ross and the Cubs. Yeah, I remember prior to opening day, David Ross was asked by a reporter, you know, you don't have a lefty in this bullpen, and he kind of goes, oh, yeah, I guess that's right. Uh, we'll be okay. Like, he, he knew <laughs> yeah. he knew Mark Leiter's that guy. I, I think it says a lot about Mark, and as you uh, documented in the story, and also about the Cubs pitching infrastructure and trusting mm-hmm. The, the development of these guys, and it, a lot of it really comes down to what you covered. It's trusting pitchers with the pitches that they believe in and getting results out of it, but also fine-tuning it and seeing what's going to work best of it. Tim, kind of what are your takeaways, not only of lighter, but this bullpen as a whole? Well, I, I'd love to start with lighter. I mean, let's give him his flowers. This was a guy that DFA'd in the offseason, yeah. and, and he had to earn his spot in camp. They brought him back on a minor league deal, and he was – uh, by no means uh, a guarantee to make this roster, and now he looked indispensable to this bullpen. Yeah. It's just to me, it's just a crazy uh, how this has transpired and how it's gone about. Because it wasn't like last year he was someone who kind of was middling and uh, as a, as a reliever. Like we know as a starter, he had an ERA I think in like the eights yeah. and four starts. They put him in the bullpen and it's sub three the rest of the way, right? So he was someone who showed you something last year. You know the the forty man maneuvering happens in the off season earned the spot in spring, and now, like you were talking about, you know, we, Brandon Hughes is back, so you have that lefty-lefty traditionally, but this guy is a weapon from, from that same reason. Um, I think bullpen-wise, that's that's huge. Like, he's someone, I think, going into the year, for me, I wouldn't have thought of him as someone in the late-inning mix, but now, as we've seen, as we're talking about, he's going to be someone I think you see frequently against lefties in particular in the later innings. There are so many examples in baseball of guys who – Went out there as starters and, you know, saw goals of being, you know, that guy who makes 30 starts a year and it just doesn't work. And they go to the bullpen, they trust their pitch selection, they develop something new, maybe the velocity ticks up a little bit in a one-inning span and they become some of the better relievers in baseball. It's fun to see 
the Cubs have done it differently. A lot of these teams that are going on and contending are doing it by signing guys on one-year deals, however much money, and this is a guy we can count on. This is a guy we believe in. The Cubs are trusting what they have from within and understanding some of these guys, it might take some development and it might take some time to get them to where you want to be, but Leiter such a great example of somebody who, when he started last year, wasn't good. He wasn't where you wanted to be and you didn't feel good about your chances, frankly, every fifth day when he was out there. And now you said it. He's the guy in these late innings when you need a big out, you need Muncie and Freeman and some of the best bats in baseball, you, you go to him. Uh, so, Andy, I want to ask you, just who else, when you look at this Cubs bullpen, I mean, who are some of the guys you see kind of, if not near that level, developing toward it, whether it's at the major league level or the minor league level? There's a few names. First of all, I thought, I thought Brad Boxberger's looked pretty solid out of the pen. Um, looked really, really good in, in L.A., closing out that the, the finale. But one guy I've been watching, uh, keeping tabs on uh, in, at the minor league level, AAA, has been Nick Birdie, right? He was a rule five minor, or minor league rule five pick and threw 100, was an interesting guy in camp that you thought maybe he had an outside chance of, of breaking with, with the team. He has been pretty solid at Triple A Iowa. I think he's a guy who we know what we know how bullpens are, right? Like injuries happen, fatigue happens, poor performance happens. Like there's just frankly the nature of the business. There's going to be guys from Triple A that get called up and are asked to perform. I think he's one of the guys that could come up and, and be pitching in big innings for the Cubs, just given his velocity, given his stuff. Guy who's dealt with a ton of injuries, but his pitch at the major league level. I think he's he's a guy I'm watching at, in Iowa. I'll throw one more because you asked me this and I totally ignored your question before. <laughs> I'm going to go an obvious one really quick, but I think I want to shout out Keegan Thompson. Yeah. I think Keegan Thompson, what he's shown you, I mean, we've seen him have success in the bullpen before. This is no new right. new discovery, but I think what he's shown me this season so far is this guy is tough as nails, man. Yeah. Like, he, he, he is, does not waver when he goes out there. He doesn't seem like these moments get the best of him. You look at that Mariner series, yeah. that series yeah. opener where he goes in, Gets in a little bit of trouble, a little traffic, gets out of it unscathed. The Cubs go on to win, obviously. Uh, the Dodgers, over the weekend, two tough innings, and in, I think that was the, the game where the Dodgers walked off. But, like, it's a good team you're facing. That's a lineup with a lot of pros, and he goes two shutout innings. And uh, I think he's another guy who – it's interesting because he was a starter, and he's, you know, a guy who can give you give you length. And maybe if it's a short start from a, your, your rotation, he comes in, like, the fifth or sixth. But he's also someone who – the flexibility of this guy, man. If you want him to come in in the eighth and go one, two, three, I think he's showing you that, as he has in the past, that he is more than equipped to do that. Yeah, I, I love that. I'm such a big believer in having those guys who can give you high leverage multi-innings. Like, yeah. I think in the past we thought of long relievers, mop up, clean up yeah. a few innings for us, this game's not going our way, or, okay, just finish this out, we're up by ten runs. Not anymore. Like, in the modern game, you got to have the guys like Keegan Thompson. But Timmy said it, that, that game against the Mariners, that first game where – Tenth inning, he comes in. It's a tough spot. The bases are loaded. I love it. He, you know, he he dug his own hole in that one, but he got himself out of it. Tommy Hadaby went out there. He calmed down. Uh, he trusted his pitch selection, and he got through that. That's a young pitcher. That's a tough moment for a young guy out there. I love the fact that he had it in and to get through that. Cubs go on to win it in the bottom half of the tenth on the Nico walk off. And look, that's an important milestone in a pitcher's development. And not to mention the fact this guy was in the rotation for a bit. He got his chance there. I love the selflessness. I love the mindset. And as Tim said, the toughness of this guy. You can get you know, can get some key outs in a one-inning spot. He can go those multi-innings. Whatever David Ross needs, they, they, that's how you get valued in that bullpen. And Keegan Thompson's earned that place. So uh, I tip the cap to that guy. I think he's been really important for them. Um, let's look at the starting rotation now. Because there's another guy who has made some good developments. And Hayden Wisniewski, you know, he struggled his first couple starts. Yeah. Different story in Oakland. He went out there. 
uh, and he really, you saw the best of him. You saw that slider was in full form. That fastball was popping. He was confident. He was really confident out there, and that's what really kind of jumped out to me. What were your impressions of, of that, and how it compares to those first starts he made? I think it was the perfect get-right game, right? Like, we, you talk about it a lot in various sports, right? They, a get-right game or get-right spot. And Oakland, we, we know where what, what Oakland's going through and, and where their roster is. And listen, at the end of the day, Keegan, or excuse me, Hayden Wesneski can't control who he's pitching or who he's facing against. But that was the perfect opportunity for him to go out and do what he did, right? It would have been easy for him. He struggled a little bit early on. It would have been easy for the wheels to have fallen apart, right? And, and, and it didn't, frankly. And he was able to settle down, get through it, and pitch a quality outing for the Chicago Cubs. And to me, like, that's the kind of game that you could look back on. If he, can, if he goes on a run of success or if he this kind of kickstarts his season to, to being the pitcher who I think he can be, I think he could be towards the front of the rotation by the end of the season. If he's at that level... Um, by the end of the season, this is the start you could look back at and it's like, that's the one that got him back. That's what the Cubs are hoping for. And, and frankly, that's what they need right now because if he continues to struggle, looking at kind of the depth options, it's kind of slim right now, right? If you look at the 40-man roster, Adrian Sampson is injured, dealing with an injury. Javier Saad just got back, got sent back down. So he's he, he can't come up unless there's an injury. And also, he's getting stretched out because he was in that reliever role. Ben Brown and, and Ryan Jensen are a double A, so I don't think they would call them up. Caleb Killian's been struggling a little bit. So the, the depth, if Hayden Wozneski's not performing at the level, is kind of thin. And Kyle Hendricks is still a little bit away. So it's like you need him to perform. And, and this is the perfect outing to have gotten him back on that track. Yeah, I, I think one thing that drives me crazy in the Twitter world is when you're, oh, it's the A's, whatever. It's, these are major leaguers. I know it's, yeah. it's a rough lineup. They're probably going to be one of the worst teams in baseball. But it was about process, not so much outcome. It doesn't matter who they were facing as much as is he out there controlling his fastball and hitting the slider on the corner? And is he? Is it just him and Jan Gomes in that spot? I love that he was shaking off Jan Gomes and saying, no, yeah. this is what I want to throw. Like, this is the pitch, and I'm going to hit it. And it felt like the few times that he did that throughout that game, he's hitting the corner on that spot. I don't care if it's the A's. I don't care if it's the Dodgers. I don't care if it's the Astros. Like, I like the fact that it was Hayden Wisniewski locked in and in his right spot. Uh, Tim, kind of what jumped out, because you were there, you saw him, those first starts where he was struggling. How much different did it look in your mind, and do you think it's sustainable? Well, he got five strikeouts against the A's with the slider, and we know that's his bread and butter pitch, so I think that was a good sign. Obviously, he didn't walk anybody against Oakland with Seattle. He put four free passes on and it just didn't seem right. Um, I think I think there's definitely more than those first two starts for this guy than he's shown, right? And like you're saying, it is Oakland. We know where they're at this year. Um, but the first two starts with kind of all the traffic on the bases, we know he's better than that. I do think it's interesting because you brought up rotation depth. And with how baseball is and, and, you know, pitching, like, you never know what the status of something could be a month out, like a rotation right. of starting five. But I do think it's interesting with, like, Kyle Hendricks. Like, when if he's building up and getting closer and closer, um, what happens then with the rotation, right. right? Like, do you go with six potentially? Do you do piggyback? There's a lot of options for them. Um, but getting this guy on track, like that would make their decisions tougher, right? Like right. if he's struggling and, and Hendricks is ready to give you not just a couple innings, like that's going to lead to an interesting spot for them. But, um, all he can do is control what he can control. And the Oakland outing was, as we're saying, something to build on and go from there. Yeah. And, and quickly wanted to add on, like the thing is, is the, the rotation depth is thin right now, but also like. The Cubs have fewer off days. They have the same amount of off days as every team, but their off days are 
kind of spread thinner because of the London series, right? There's two days before, two off days before the, the series and one day after. So that's three off days that they lose throughout the course of the year. They're in a tough stretch going through May where they're, they're going to have fewer off days. So, yeah, they might have to go to a six-man rotation just given that, like, there's fewer off days. And if there's any rain, they're like, you can think about rain delays and things like that. Like, they're, they're, the depth of the rotation is going to be crucial. And getting Hayden Wesneski back on track is paramount to that. Coming up after the break, the Cubs host the Dodgers for a four-game set at Wrigley Field. Who has the better future in the next five or so years, maybe the next ten years? Are you taking the Cubs stock or the Dodgers stock? We'll be back after this on the Cubs Weekly Podcast. You've got the jersey, the ball cap, the foam finger. Everyone can see you're a Chicago Cubs fan from a mile away. Ready to take your look to the next level? Upgrade your wallet with an exclusive Cubs debit card, which you can get when you open a Wintrust Cubs checking account. With no monthly fees, free ATMs nationwide, and a $300 bonus when you open your account. Start showing your Cubs pride with every purchase. Sign up at Wintrust.com Cubs. Only $100 required to open. No monthly minimum balance and no monthly maintenance fees. Member FDIC and Equal Housing Lender. Welcome back to the Cubs Weekly Podcast on Marquee Sports Network. I'm Chris Emmel alongside Tim Stebbins and Andy Martinez. Guys, Dodgers are in town. It's a four-game set beginning Thursday night at Wrigley Field. Team that's been kind of that gold standard of the National League for really most of the last decade. And they're 9-9 as they come in. They got plenty of talent, of course. Cubs are 11-7. I think a lot of people who have not been paying attention to kind of their direction are a little bit surprised. And uh, it calls into the question from my perspective. I'm curious, guys. I want to hear your thoughts. Whose stock are you taking? Are you looking at you? Do you want to buy Cubs stock for the next five years? Maybe 10 years, however long you want to look at it, or you want to, you still going with the Dodgers at this point. So when you, peeling back behind the curtain a little, peeking <laughs> back behind the curtain a little bit, you sent us a text message prepping for this podcast, and you posed that question to us, right? Who are you taking stock in? And immediately, I'm like, that's the Dodgers. It's not even a question. And then I'm like starting to think a little bit about it, and I'm like, okay, there's an argument there for sure. I still am leaning towards the Dodgers, just given their track record of success. Like for, for the last, you know, 10 years, it's always seemed like the Dodgers just bring up a guy you never heard of and he's a solid player or they sign a guy off waivers and he becomes Justin Turner or they sign a guy off waivers and he becomes Max. Like it's just like so many different guys that they, that, that they are able to have like quote unquote reclamation projects with. Mm-hmm. And the Cubs are starting to do that. So like that's, that's a good sign. And, and obviously we're like some of the signs of success because you can't produce 26 guys for your roster all on your own. Like there's, there's just going to be outside help that needs to come. We're starting to see that. We mentioned Mark Leiter jr. Earlier on the podcast, we we're, Starting to see that with some, with some of the some of the prospects that are coming up, but like the 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 Dodgers have a longer track record of success, longer track record of success. Excuse me, that I'm still buying stock in them. By their standards, it's a tumultuous start, right? Like they they've won the, the 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 NL West like every single year, and like you're just expecting them to to run away with it again this year, given even with what the Padres have done. But I think they'll be okay at the end of the season. I think the Cubs are on the right track that. In, in five years, the question, or maybe even two years, the question, the answer might be different. But I think for just given the, the track record, I'm still kind of leaning with the Dodgers in that sense. Yeah, I kind of phrase it loosely, too, which isn't great for a podcast setting. But five years, <laughs> ten years, a lot can happen. But look, I, I think you could look at it a little bit differently, too, because I think the Cubs are looking more tenure where the Dodgers are looking five or even fewer. Uh, it's, it's a fascinating question to me. Uh, Tim, I want to hear your thoughts as well. But, like, I, the Dodgers, and I, it might take for me if they go out and spend $500 million, whatever, on Shohei Otani this offseason, where who knows where they finish this year, but that's a team always ready to bring out the checkbooks and spend whatever they need. And 
But they've taken a step back, Tim. They're 9-9 as they come into Wrigley Field. The Cubs just took two out of three from them and won a series at Dodger Stadium for the first time since 2014. What are your thoughts? I'll give you five years. Andy went with five years as well. So for the sake of the argument, five years, who are you taking, Cubs or Dodgers? Well, I'm with Andy where it's kind of an interesting question because you think Dodgers are the Dodgers right away, but then if you peel it back a little bit, maybe you start to think, well, the Cubs are impressive. I think five years is specifically interesting because one thing I didn't really think about until now is look what their neighbors in San Diego have been doing. Mm -hmm. And if, if you want to look at the next five years in, in – what that division may look like, and I know I'm not trying to discount the Dodgers, but in the near term, the Dodgers are, or the Padres are forced to be reckoned with. I still think if you're comparing it to the Cubs, I'm taking the Dodgers. And the Dodgers, for if this is a step back year where they start nine and nine, I think by October 5th or what have you, they're going to be looking solid. If I'm wrong, please uh, at me on old take exposed. If so <laughs> but the Dodgers have seven top 100 prospects. Uh, I think if you're taking the next five years, I know there's some injury things here, but when healthy, not even counting Clayton Kershaw, you have a starting forward in your rotation of Tony Gonsolin, Dustin May, Walker Bueller, Julio Arias. And I think this year is a year where they weren't – they're always trying to win, obviously. They're the Dodgers. But they let some guys walk as free agents, the Turners, Justin and uh, Trey. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I think, as you're saying, they tend to have a, this knack for finding guys in, like, the Trace, Trace Thompson. Trace Thompson's yeah. got, like, an eight-something OPS, for, if not higher, for them. So I think the Dodgers will be fine. I think they have a foundation of young pitching for the next five years that's going to make them really, really strong. And you mentioned the Sotani guy. If there's a team that's in the mix for big-time free agents always, we know it's those guys. And I'm not making any predictions about where Otani's going, but – I'd be uh, – I think they're, they, they're, that's a team that you look to it for anybody that's big. And I wanted to add on really quick. You mentioned the, the Padres, but another team that's in that division that's looking pretty solid is, is Arizona. Yeah. Like, I think Arizona we, – we cover the Cubs, so we spent a lot of – we were in the weeds with the Cubs. But the, a team that was just as good in the second half last season was Arizona. Arizona was really, really good in the second half. They locked up Corbin Carroll, their, their top prospect for, for – I believe it was a seven- or eight-year contract, like – that's a that's a really good cornerstone, and, and they're having some success early on. That they're gonna, they could shock some people. We know what San Diego is, and San Francisco. I feel like they're always like that sleeping giant, right? Like a couple years ago, they won over 100 games. They're not afraid to spend money. I mean, they were after Carlos Correa. They were after Giancarlo Stanton. They might be after this Otani guy. Like th th this is, this is the type of team that could surprise people. So yeah, the, I know West is a lot tougher. Where like, with all due respect to like the Brewers and Cardinals, those are not the same. They're not playing in the same ballpark as, as, as those, those other teams are in the NLS. To your point really quick, I said Dodgers number two farm system on MLB pipeline, and they got the uh, Diamondbacks number three on that yeah. list. There you go. You know, I, I'm sitting in Tony Andraki's seat, so i got to say it's early, it's early, it's early. I'm an <laughs> avid follower of the podcast. Got to throw that in for Tony as a salute to our guy, but it is early. That yeah. said, Cubs entering Wednesday, 11-7, same record as the Diamondbacks. Same record as the Pirates, who, by the way, have been playing some pretty good ball so far to start yeah. this season. I'm going to counter you guys. I wasn't, I wasn't sure what to expect. We didn't, in our pretext, <laughs> we didn't really cover it, but I'm going to go with the Cubs because I like what they've done in terms of where the. I'll compare it to, to the, where the Dodgers were, I don't know, whatever year it was, 2014, 2015, where you start hitting on some of these reclamation yeah. projects. Justin Turner was a guy who was cast off by the Mets and the Orioles, became a perennial all star, one of the best hitters in the baseball with the Dodgers. Patrick Wisdom, third baseman, cast off by the Rangers, cast off by the Cardinals. Guy who's late-blooming player that's become one of the Cubs' better hitters as we covered. 
Cody Bellinger coincidentally coming from the Dodgers. <laughs> Another guy, Reclamation Project. We've talked about it so far. Breakouts early on in this season. I know he's a one-year contract guy. He's not somebody you're looking at long-term, but he's somebody who could be potentially a building block if you do want to resign him, if you if he gets to that point. But the difference for me, guys, is the Cubs' prospects, what they have in this farm system, yeah. all these young prospects coming up, this outfielding group, uh, not to mention these pitchers. We talked about the pitching lab success stories and some of the ways that they've been able to develop these guys. Not just the big prospects we talked about, but some of these guys who are under the radar that maybe the next year or two you get some of these breakouts. It's what the Dodgers have done for years. It's what made, has made them successful. Yes, they got starts. They got Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman's an MVP. You got so many guys who have you know, proven players that you bring in. They spend a lot of money. And if they do get Otani, which, by the way, they had a quiet offseason. I think they're lying in the weeds waiting for this next offseason and the big fish had crossed town for them in Shohei Otani. But for me, it comes down to the farm system, the Cubs' ability that we've seen early on in the last couple years as they continue to build and open up this window toward contention. They've had success stories with some of these position player prospects and develop these young pitchers. I'm buying in on that. If I'm buying the stock, I believe in what the Cubs can do over the next five years, over the next 10 years, if they continue on in this track of developing these young players and complementing them with guys like Dansby Swanson and all down the line, uh, you know, fortifying this core with contract extensions, Ian Happ, Nico Horner, all down the line. I feel really good about where the Cubs are going with this, and I'll, I'll counter you guys. I'll, I'll buy Cubs stock on this one. And I, I will say, like, I, I, I could totally see it, right? Like, I, I think, like I said, I, I'm going on the track record. But the Cubs, to, to your point, like, last year, outside of, like, really, like, diehard prospect followers, like, <laughs> Christopher Murrow wasn't at the top of the, the, the forefront. He had a good good start to his season last year and obviously starts the season AAA, but that's really good depth on the 40-man. Brandon Hughes, like, when he was called up, you're like, who is this guy? By the end of the last season, he was – David Ross is the most trusted reliever. So, yes, there are signs of that, that you have to have to have success, right? Like, you have to be able to call on these minor leaguers that internally they know who they are and what they can be. But, like, to the outside, to, like, to us, you're like, who's Brandon Hughes? It's like, okay, like, you need to have those kinds of players. And those are the the signs of a healthy organization. And I think the Cubs are starting to show that, like, hey, they, they, they can produce players like that, which are fundamentals to success. Yeah, and the Dodgers, if you look back at the track record of a lot of their guys who have come up and been impact players, they weren't first-round picks. They weren't top 100 prospects that you were hearing about. It's a market, but a good organization. And the Cubs are really trying to replicate a lot of that, trying to do a lot of it on their own. Uh, you may have heard it's early in the season, <laughs> but I love this balanced schedule, or the, uh, the different schedule. I love the way that you're getting these big matchups now. It's not hidden with the division right away. You've yeah. seen a kind of a fun dynamic early on. Fun homestand coming up. You got the Dodgers for four games. You got the Padres after that for three before you head down to Miami. But looking at this homestand, guys, what are you going to take from this? So what are you kind of looking forward to? And again, it is early, but can we draw any conclusions if they do continue to play this kind of good baseball against high-caliber teams? I think it's another good litmus test for the Cubs. I thought the Rangers and Mariners were a good litmus test for them, right? Like you, you think about when those two teams came in, like the Texas Rangers team that spent a lot of money, has a lot of stars on their team trying to begin in the playoffs. The Mariners, up, young and upcoming team, might have one of the better rotations, if not the best rotations in, in, in baseball when it's all said and done. To take two out of three from both teams, like that was really impressive. I thought when this, when I looked at the schedule, last season, the, the, the like for the Cubs, it, it was really tough. It was a really tough go of it in April, kind of put them out of even sniffing contention by, by April. I, th I was worried that there was a chance that that could happen just given how tough the schedule was. You think about the Dodgers twice, the Mariners, the Rangers, the Padres. 
and like you mentioned, they they have a winning record. I I think they have a shot to to, to win a series against the, the 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 Dodgers or Padres or both. You do that, that completely changes the narrative of what this team could be. Because now you think about it, like they don't, they don't have to face the Dodgers anymore. They're gonna have to face the the Padres in a little bit, but they don't have to face the Mariners. They don't have to face the Rangers. Like that that opens up so many things. I think it's a, another good litmus test to see where they're at and. Nico Horner mentioned it after after the Mariners win. Like you don't want to, you don't want to say it's a big win, but it felt like a big win when they when they beat the Mariners in extra innings, and like that's that's what you hope can happen against against the the Dodgers and Padres. Tim, four games against the Dodgers, three against the Padres, two of the best teams in the National League West and in baseball in all of the league. What are you looking for in the next seven days here? Winning series. I mean, I think yeah. that's just if you win series, you know. More often than not, by the end of September, you're going to be sitting pretty nicely, I think. Um, we saw them compete against the Dodgers, and I think – I don't want to say it could have been a sweep because you could also say, well, the Dodgers could have won this finale. They're all close games, but right. we talked about last week, they're winning close games now. Last year, that was something that you didn't see as much. So, I think you just want to see them win series. They've won a couple in a row here. Um, the Dodgers and Padres are tough. The Padres have actually had a slow start, but they've also played some, some pretty tough yeah. teams. They had – Atlanta twice, the Mets, the Brewers, and we talk about their pitching. So I'm really curious to see what that Padres team looks like because I think their record could be deceiving. And by the way, they have a guy, uh, one Fernando Tatis Jr., coming back by the time they uh, play visit Wrigley Field, visit to play the Cubs. So just win series, man. Like if you don't, I don't know, like win both of them, that might be a big ask. But seven games there, you know, four and three, five and two record, good good scenario, I'd say. Yeah, that. Yeah, I was gonna say that. That's the the dream scenario, and that. Yeah. Kind of replicates what they did against against the Mariners, or excuse me, against the Mariners and uh, Rangers. Yeah, you said it too. This schedule, uh, right out of the gates here in April, it's a tough schedule. You look to these next seven days: Dodgers, Padres, and then you finish out the month of April in Miami. Looking at a potential of a winning record here, a winning April. I think everybody would have signed up for that as you went into this season. They're playing good baseball. There's a lot of reasons that we covered to be encouraged and excited about where they're going with this thing and. Um, yeah, stay tuned. It's going to be a fun little ride here as you look forward to what's ahead for this Cubs team. That'll do it for this edition of the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust. Don't forget to download and subscribe to the podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and check us out on video form, Marquee Sports Network app and YouTube. I'm Chris Emma, Tim Stebbins, Andy Martinez, Marquee Sports Network and the Cubs Weekly Podcast. Mm-hmm.